If you ever wondered if this was God's son, he set the record straight right then. This is my son, y'all, if he was from Oklahoma, right? Yuns, if he was deeper south, okay? Like, this is my son whom I love. Let's, let's just set the record straight. And with him, I am well pleased. You know, pause for just a second. That's what every son needs to hear from their father. And that's what every daughter needs to hear from their father. Listen, I love you. And I know we all make knucklehead decisions. But you need to understand something. I love you. I accept you. And I'm pleased with you. Amen? And that's what, that's what our Heavenly Father did for our big brother, Jesus. Talking about a family who prays together, stays together. Come on. They had, John and Jesus had this incredible encounter together. And you can too. It wasn't just for the Messiah and John the Baptist. We all can have encounters together in the presence of God if we'll be just as aware of the presence of God as they are. Amen? If we'll, if we'll intentionally do life together like they did. And I wished I could tell you this story ended well. Unfortunately, John's story didn't end up very good. He grew up talking about Jesus, talking about the Messiah, baptizing people, preaching the gospel. He was one of these guys that just stood up for truth, just stood up for righteousness. Like, this is what the Bible said. This is what the Word says. This is what you're supposed to do. This is what you're, how you're supposed to live, right? But just like today, it wasn't necessarily received by all especially by those who would prefer to live against what the Word of God says. And that's what happened to John. Matthew chapter 14, verse 3, Now Herod, the king, was, or had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias. Now pay attention, follow the storyline. Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. You paying attention? His sister-in-law, right? Now, he didn't like John because of his brother's wife. And we get a little indication that something's going on here between the two of them, right? For John, the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, apparently had conversations with Herod. John had been saying to him, listen, bro, I realize you're the king, but it is not lawful for you to have her. She's your brother's wife. Like what you're doing is called a sin. God is not for it. You are a sinner and a terrible brother. Right? But Herod is like, but I'm also the king, and you better get up out of my face. Which is what's trying to happen today. Moving right along. Um, for John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. 
Herod wanted to kill John, but was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. Verse 6, on Herod's birthday, the daughter, okay, so his niece, of Herodias danced for the guest, and it pleased Herod so much that he... I'm sure alcohol was involved. I'm sure you make decisions when you're just in good spirits that you later regret. He promised with an oath publicly in front of all of his guests to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, his brother's wife, she said, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oath or his promise, again, he stood up. That was great. Man, you can have anything you want in front of all of his nobles, all of his royal court, all of his friends, and just random, you know, royal people. She stands up in just as loud of a voice and says, give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. It's morbid. Right? The king was distressed because of his oath and his dinner guests, and he ordered that her request be granted. And John, and had John beheaded in prison. His head was brought out on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it, then went and told Jesus. What do you do with that news? When someone you grew up with, someone who your callings were essentially tied together, John's paving the way for Jesus. John baptized Jesus. John was there when, Jesus, when, the, when the Holy Spirit came on Jesus. They're aware of each other. We keep reading verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat to a solitary place. We can pay attention to how Jesus deals with hard things. Let's pay attention to how Jesus deals with tragedy. We think Jesus was unemotional. We just think, you know, we see all these, you know, pictures of Jesus and he's just very unemotional. You know what I mean? Just very still, very secure in himself, which he was. But, but don't, don't mistake how secure he is with him not having emotions. We see in Scripture where Jesus wept. We see in Scripture where Jesus shook with anger. We see him laugh. Jesus had emotions. So what does he do when the weight of living in this fallen world tries to take over? He gets alone. He goes to a solitary place, not to willow and, you know, wallow in self-pity, not to draw the shades and stay in bed, not to just cry, so he could be with God. And sometimes in life, when life hits, the appropriate answer is not just to 
go to Facebook or social media and tell everybody and hope everybody just kind of wraps you. Oh, I'm so sorry. Jesus wasn't looking for pity. Jesus was looking for the presence. Ooh, come on. Where are you at, Pastor Taylor? I mean, I'm telling you, Jesus, that was, that was good. That was good. Come on. He's the, he's the, he's, he does these one-liners, you know what I mean? That just came out inspired by the Lord. <laughs> Wasn't looking for pity. He was looking for presence. But it's true. That's what he was looking for. And when tragedy strikes you, don't run away from God. Run to him. Run to him. So many people, so many people play the card, well, if God was God, he could have done something about it. John the Baptist was beheaded because he was standing up for righteousness. And Jesus ran to a solitary place and he got in the presence of God. What do we do when the weight of living in this fallen world tries to take over? We get alone with God. Luke chapter 5 verse 16 says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. That's where your true strength comes from, friends. It's in the presence of God. In fact, we see if you'll follow the life of Jesus, before he made any major decision in life, he followed this model. He would get alone, he would get quiet, and he would be in the presence of God, and it would restore him. He was human, just like us. He left all of his Godhead, if you will, in heaven when he came and was born into, into the form of a, of a man. He was with God in the beginning, but he was born very much a human, just like you and I. You cut him, he bleeds. We see that at the cross. Amen? And so what, what do you do? You get alone, you get quiet. Anytime before he made a major decision, anytime he was used spiritually, physically, emotionally, we see these moments where he often got alone in the presence of God. Then there was this account, you know, of, of here, here's cousin John being beheaded. Verse 13, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. On hearing this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. Jesus gets in a boat. He's leaving. He's going to go spend some time with, with God, his heavenly father. The crowds see Jesus. Oh, you know what? He's heading over to that other town. And they gather their stuff and they walk around the lake. Walk around the sea to meeting, right? A large crowd. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. Can a brother just be alone, right? Can he just get a break here for just a minute? But look at Jesus' response. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. So even when he kind of wanted to just be him and God for a few minutes, you know what I mean? Just kind of recenter, repurpose, refocus. All of these people just showed up. Jesus never resented people. Jesus never resented the ministry. He never resented his weekend to serve on the planning center calendar. Are you with me, friends? Dang. No, Jesus looked forward for the opportunities. And even in his worst, in his lowest moments, he saw the people. And he remembered why we're on this earth in the first place. It's for people. And he stepped into that. 
He had compassion on them, healed their, healed their sick. Look at this. As evening approached, so Jesus has been talking to these guys all day long, praying for them, healing them. The disciples came to him and said, uh, Master, like we out here in the sticks. This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. So Jesus' first response in this time of loss was to be about his father's business. The disciples are like, hey, enough. Like, you, you, this, is, this has been a full day. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, large crowds, the Bible says. Later we find out how many. You give them something to eat. The disciples said, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. To get a little different perspective of the very same story, we've got to read it from Mark's point of view. Mark 6, verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus. They reported to him all that had been uh, done and and taught. Um, Then, because so many were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. They said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. Let's get some rest. They went away by themselves by a boat to a solitary place. But many saw them leaving, recognized them, and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus had landed, he saw the large crowd had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Verse 35, by this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. Same story, different perspective. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered, You give them something to eat. So again, same story, Mark's perspective. They said to him, that would take more than a a half a year's wage. Are we to go and spend that much on bread to give it to them to eat? Like they're trying to figure this out. They're like, Jesus, that's going to cost us a lot of money. (laughs) And a lot of people assume that Jesus and his disciples were were poor, poor. Like they struggled. They did not struggle. You see at the cross, the soldiers casting lots for his garments because they were made of fine linen. You see here, Jesus, you know, his disciples are like, hey, listen, you know, it's going to cost us a lot. Is that how much you want us to spend? Meaning, we got it to spend, but is that the best use of our money? Right? And, And the story, how many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and in fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Why do we pray for our food? Right there. Lord, we are so thankful for Christmas this year. Lord, we are so thankful for what we are able to do. We're so thankful for this food. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Right? Thank you for the gifts that we are able to share. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Jesus looked up to heaven, gave thanks for it, broke it. Uh, He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. Look at verse 44. And the number of the men. In Bible days, for some reason, they just counted the men, not the women or the children. 
but we know they were all present. And so just counting the men who had eaten 5,000. 5,000. And this is where people go, oh, no. Listen, friends, we have seen that Jesus math work time and time and time and time again. Amen? Praise God. We've seen it work. We've seen it work. We've been a part. We've watched it happen. And you've seen it too. But wow, what a response. On the heels of life-altering news, family devastation, a time when most people would rather throw in the towel on ministry, throw in the towel on serving God's kingdom, on the work that they were building, Jesus actually leans into it even more. And I think from reading this story of Jesus, we can learn three things from him. What do you do when life gets overwhelming? You find a solitary place and you get into the presence of God. Amen? Not a place to dwell in self-pity. You find a place where you can strengthen yourself. We talk about silence and solitude around here a lot. But what that is, is that's intentional time in a quiet place to be alone with ourselves and with God. Not just alone with ourselves. That's a dangerous place. And a, um, an idle mind is the devil's playground. Someone needs to write that down. Someone needs to write that down. An idle mind is the devil's playground. When you sit there and just think and role play, and, and no, like give it to the Lord. Lord, it seems like this is what was going to happen if this, but Lord, I know you're, you're bigger than all of this and I trust you. The Bible says to trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not into my own understanding, so I'm not even going to play those mind games. I'm not even going to play those role-playing games. They never happen like I role-play them out in my head anyway. God, I'm just going to trust you for a word. I'm going to hear you. I'm going to believe that that's you, and I'm just going to do what you tell me to do. That's what Jesus was doing in this moment. You know, we see that modeled throughout history. David um, in a time after the Amalekites had invaded the south in Ziglag and, in, and had smitten Ziglag and burned it with fire and had taken all David's men's wives and David's, David's family, all their children had, had taken them off. They didn't know. Did they kill them? They don't know. They were off doing what, what warriors do. They were dividing and conquering Someone was supposed to be watching the women and the children and the stuff that was, they had set up camp at Ziklag. These Amalekites came in, raided the camp. David and his men are gone. They destroy everything, take all of their spoil, take all of the women and children. David and his men come back. 1 Samuel 30, verse 5, David's two wives were taken captives. Gives their names there. Verse 6, and David was greatly distressed. Why? For the people, his own men, responded in a very humanistic way, a very soulless, very emotional way. They spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Because that's what happens when, we, when, when tragedy hits. We just, there's hell to pay for a lot of us. Like, I'm going to do something about that. And that's what your flesh wants to do. Your flesh goes, uh-uh. You know, Jesus says, turn the other cheek, but 
I only got two cheeks. After that second one, I'm getting you off of me, right? It's like, come on, right? It's, it's here we go. Here we go. But if you finish it, the Bible says every man, uh, they were grieved for every man for his son and his daughters. But look at this. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. What do you do when when trouble hits, when tragedy strikes? You don't run away from him. You run to him. Amen, everyone? We've all experienced immeasurable loss in our lives as a result of living in a fallen world. Kids who've made decisions we didn't want them to make. um, Family members who've made decisions we didn't want them to make. Close friends. I know for us, just in our family, we've experienced incredible loss. Um... Our niece, Tyra's brother, like our family has gone through. People look at us and they think, well, you guys, nothing ever bad happens to you. We live in the same world you do. Amen? And and I'll never forget, the week before we launched this church, my dad had a massive heart attack. And he's the picture of health today. But then, we didn't know if he's going to make it. Like, Thank God for the medical profession. We think doc, God, God uses doctors, and I'm thankful for him. But we had two different doctors that was on his case. And one of them was like, oh, he's a young man. He'll make it through. He's, he's healthy. He'll be fine. Oh, thank you. The other guy says, well, I don't know. It's 50-50. We'll see. Go sit down. You're in timeout, right? <laughs> no. No, that's not what I wanted to hear. Flip of a coin. Hope you're lucky. No. And I remember, you know, this particular week, and again, we're about, to, we're about to do the work that God has called us to do. We're going to launch Your Place Church in Mays County, Oklahoma, because God has a plan for the people of Mays County, Oklahoma, through the vehicle and mission and vision of this church. Amen? You want to talk about something that potentially derailed us, pick on my family. My dad's in the, in the, the unit, like the, 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 the gnarly unit, like where they put the, the gnarly cases. And I remember coming back one time, and we, mom and I had gone to lunch, and I heard code blue or something. Well, I don't know what the codes are. It was bad code, bad code, code, bad color. I don't know. And they, he had coded he had coded, and they came in with the crash cart and did the whole, you know, all of it. And I didn't even realize it because we weren't, we were at lunch. And the doctors were like, you can't come in, like he's taking a turn. Um, and so my mom and I, what did we do? Did we go and just kind of bite our nails and, you know, gosh, I hope nothing happened. No, we went and found a solitary place, and we got quiet and we restored our soul, and we trusted God, and we prayed like there was no tomorrow. Because there might not have been for him. And we prayed. And when we came back up to his room, that after we prayed, he had one nurse that was his nurse. They were working. I mean, they were doing something. And she was running around the bed, and she's changing things. And we're like, what are you doing to him? And they were like, he's making us work. I'm dialing down all of this medicine. He doesn't need it anymore. 
And within a few hours, he was conscious again. And within a, within a few days, they let him go home. He's sitting right there, right now, this morning. Come on, we can celebrate that. Amen. But what's the appropriate response when tragedy hits? To get quiet. To get in the presence of God. Amen, everyone? The second thing you do is you press in and you do more for the kingdom, not less. Not less. Jesus went straight from hearing that news into the presence of God. Then he taught all day, fed 5,000 people. Most of us would have quit. But we need to understand Romans chapter 5, verse 20, the latter part of that verse says, where sin abounds, grace did much more abound. The grace to do our calling is even greater in times where it seems hard. The grace to do what God's called us to do is there. He said, my grace is sufficient. We have found that when people are going through some of the worst seasons of their lives, when they find something bigger than themselves to be a part of it, it gets them through it. It gets them through it. You, you flow on the grace of God. What can we learn from Jesus during tough seasons? Get alone. Get strengthened. Don't pull back from your assignment. Actually lean into them. And then in this scripture right here, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks for them and broke the loaves, gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. It's not like they just got a morsel. They all ate. If every dude had a chick, we're talking 10,000. If every chick had 2.5 kids, like, like we don't know. They all ate, right? And were satisfied, and the disciples picked up the 12 baskets. You think if they were still hungry, there would be 12 baskets of bread laying around? No. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish, and the number of the men who had eaten was about 5,000. What's the third thing we can learn from what Jesus went through? Listen, guys, don't despise what's in your hand. Don't downplay it. Man, one big gift's coming next week, but we just, we just ain't got anything to give. Don't downplay that. You can give, and God can multiply it. He took a little boy's Happy Meal, five loaves and two small fish, and fed 5,000 people. Trust me, if everybody who worships at your place church came next week during our one big give offering. If you're new with us, next week during both of our services, every penny that comes in, we're giving it away. We're giving it away. There's been years we've given $50,000 away because we give away every penny. Every penny. But don't despise the $2, the $10, the $20, the $200. We really want to give $1,000. But all we have is $200. Give the $200. The number one thing that has got us out of a poverty mentality. You know what a poverty mentality is? Getting to the end of the ketchup bottle, going to the sink, putting water in it, shaking it up. You know what I mean? Get that last little squirt of, throw that in the trash and get you a new bottle of ketchup. Can I have an amen, someone? Amen. The number one thing that got us out of a poverty mentality was when we had a desire to give more. 
when we didn't despise what we had. I remember the days when we were part of one big give offerings and, and we just kind of checked my pockets. I had a $2, $3. She dumped out the coins in her little coin purse and we gave that because that's it. And we prayed for it just like Jesus prayed for the loaves and fishes. And we're like, Lord, multiply this. Make, let this make a difference in whoever we're sowing it to. We give it to you, Lord. That's the other thing. We're not giving it to a ministry or a person. We're giving it to the Lord. Don't despise the day. Don't despise what you have to give. Some people, they're like, I ain't got any cash to give, but, you know, I've got this whatever. Sold this thing on Facebook so I could have something to give. Listen, look around. Look around. Lord can use whatever it is. Amen, everyone? And then the last thing that we learn is watch God do miracles. Not only in your life, but in the lives of everyone who we're going to have an opportunity to, um, to see God do some things. And we're watching God in our personal life right now. We're watching him do a miracle. It's nothing less than a miracle. And listen, we don't know how it's going to end. We're, we've got some expectation. If you are a part of our kingdom builders, um, team, just like we have greeters and ushers, we have people who have the spiritual gift of giving uh, in our church. We're all called to worship, but some people have the spiritual gift of worship. We're all called to pray, but some people have the spiritual gift of prayer. Right now, we've got people praying behind that wall right now for you. Right now. We have people that meet here on Wednesday night, they just have the gift of prayer. God uses them that way. Well, some people, we're all called to give, but some people have the spiritual gift to give. And if you're interested in that, you can email me at pastor at, at ypcprior.com, and I'm going to send you our most recent um, Kingdom Builder Celebration event that we just did just this last week. And I'll tell you a little bit about what God's doing in our lives. But we're right in the middle of a miracle forming. <laughs> forming. Amen. And it could go either way. But we trust God. We trust God. Amen, friends? What can we learn about this story? When tragedy hits, go to the presence of God, not run from Him. Lean into your calling and help others, not quit. Are you with me? And then don't despise what's in your hands. Don't despise what you do have. God can use it all. And then watch God move. Watch God work. Watch miracles happen. Guys, I am so stinking excited for 2023. And I cannot wait to share with you the next direction that the Lord has given us for a community of believers. Stand up with us. We're going to worship God with our giving today. And let me clarify something real quickly, real quickly. As you guys are standing up, we'll put the... There's several ways to give at your place, church. We don't really pass buckets. They're in the back of the room. But there's several ways. In fact... Most of our giving comes in in one of the digital ways, which we're super thankful for that. You can actually set up reoccurring giving, giving if that helps. Um, but let me, let me help you with something, and this is what's helped my wife and I with this area of our life. The tithe is not giving, it's returning. The Bible says, uh, return to me and I will return to you. Well, what do you mean by that, Lord? Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 says, I'm talking about the tithe. The tithe belongs to the Lord. It's the first 10% of any increase, any increase. 
We just got a, a, a Christmas bonus, um, and we gave our staff a Christmas bonus. We first before we spend it, we skim off the top. And all of our multiple streams of income that the Lord has blessed us with, before we pay a bill, before we spend anything, yeah, but I need new tires. If I give, I won't be up. It, it's not mine to spend. If we think it's ours to spend, we will spend it. But because it's not ours to spend, it goes immediately out of our account. And we worship God with it. Giving is one penny over the tithe. Yeah, come on. That's where giving kicks in. And that's where the multiplication kicks in. And if there's something that we've learned in this faith journey, the, the, the multiplication comes from the giving. So next week, we're already praying about what God wants us to give. People are like, preachers just want your money. Listen, the preachers are the top, one of the top givers at this church. All of the preachers, all of the staff are some of the top givers at this church. Why? Because we believe in the mission and vision of this church. And we believe what the word says about sowing and reaping. Amen? Praise God. I don't know how you receive that. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you. Lord, we came prepared to not only return the tithe to you, but Father, to give over and above. Father, we thank you that even now, this week, as many of us are asking, Lord, what do you want us to do next week for the one big give? Lord, I thank you that we hear you, number one. And Lord, that we're confident that we hear you. And Lord, this, I, I love it when I hear about husbands and wives praying and each other, you know, coming together, you know, together and see what the Lord spoke to them. That's, that's just super cool. Lord, we know that's you when, when you can give each of us a number and we'll just be obedient to that. And Father, I thank you that you are a God who looks over your word to perform it in our lives. And Father, we don't give to get, we give as a, a worship. The byproduct of that is when we put a seed in the ground, it produces a harvest. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, take these home. Go leave them on your chair. Take these home. Pass them out this week. We love you. Have a great week.